we don't know when God is going to call us. It can be this afternoon. It can be now. We don't know. We really don't know. But, uh, but uh, one thing I know, if I keep strong, I will finish strong. And so let's start by reading a scripture that is uh, often used in funerals. And, uh, but it's not a funeral scripture. It's an encouragement scripture. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where Paul uh, is saying to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, and so uh, many times we read this and we're not thinking about uh, the true meaning of what Paul is saying. He's talking about a race. What race? It's the rat race where we're all uh, involved. So we, we have a race. We all have individual races. And, and, uh, and sometimes <laughs> in, in this race, we, we, we start being despaired with the situation, circumstances. Maybe life is not smiling at you the way you thought. You planned to be a millionaire and retire in Bermuda, and that didn't happen. You plan to uh, have wife and kids, and your husband left you. You plan different things, and things that don't go always as we plan them. And if you see Paul's life, you'll understand that things went really in a different direction from his planning. Paul was a very rich man. They have a construction business. They build tents, which is like prefabricated homes today, something like that, even, even bigger, because in the, in the Middle East, it was big. You know, most people uh, lived actually in tents. They didn't live in regular homes. There, there was a, a wide chunk of the population uh, living in tents, and he was a tent maker and very rich. Once he said, if I will give all of my personal fortune to the poor, and I have love, I will have nothing. So what did he say? His personal fortune. So, so Paul had a personal fortune. He wasn't actually a poor person. And he was very educated. He belonged to the Sinedrium uh, before he converted, which means that he had you know, a level of university degrees when we compare to today. So he was a very educated, very wealthy man, and he ends up, he writes this actually from jail. <laughs> so he's in jail uh, because of his faith in, uh, in filthy rags and talking about his own life. And he does it with joy. Because you see, he doesn't have his mind set on uh, physical circumstances, on, uh, you know, in uh, material things, but he has his mind set in something. God gave him a race. Gave him a, a destination. And, and uh, you know, I, I always like to enjoy the journey uh, and not just the destination. I, I tend to be like this. Um, I think it's in a couple of weeks I'm going to travel with, uh, with Corey. <laughs> We're on a journey north. And, um, and I intend to enjoy that journey the best that I can. So get ready. We're going to get some pepperettes, some <laughs> drinks, some stuff. We have a long drive to make up north. But, um, but I, I want to enjoy the drive. I want to enjoy the ride. And in life, it's not just about... If it was just getting saved and go to heaven, we will have 
church. We had no need for church. Church is here to help us through the journey and to help us to get to the destination. So Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. So a fight is something that we usually avoid. I don't know about you, I avoid fights. I just avoided one when I entered the studio <laughs> over a parking spot. <laughs> it, and um, and uh, so we, we avoid fights. But he said, I didn't avoid the fight because this is not the, the regular fights of every day and of living, but it's the fight of uh, fighting for our faith, fighting for our values, fighting for the, the purpose that we have here on, on earth. And many people give up uh, of life. I read of the 15-year-old student. Uh, he killed himself uh, after he thought he had killed someone in his driveway. He backed up with the, the vehicle. Uh, they, uh, and uh, when this happened, uh, he saw a child uh, in the bicycle under the truck uh, bleeding. Uh, he thought he had killed the child, enters his house, gets a shotgun and kills himself. Uh, emergency services arrived. They found out that the child had minor bruises under the car, but it, uh, the child was bleeding. So, so this, uh, this uh, young person killed himself uh, because he thought he had done something horrible and couldn't bear this. Another 15-year-old student killed himself uh, after a, an accident in an all-terrain vehicle with a friend, Michael Dixon, ran from the accident and killed himself with a rifle. Uh, two similar situations. Young, young teenagers that think there is no future and uh, end up killing themselves. Um, hopefully next month I'll, I'll release my, my, my book on uh, overcoming addiction. And I tell my story where, when I tried also to kill myself because I, I wasn't able to overcome, you know, the situations, the addiction and things that happen in my life. And this can happen to anyone. In a moment of despair, people uh, give up of the race. And so I don't want to, you know, sadden you, but I'd like just to share a few thoughts about this. Um, you know, Job... Uh, also despaired when he lost everything. We think, oh, what a hero Job was. Not really. You know, you read, it's 40, I believe, 42 chapters, and, and it's, it's very sad. He goes through uh, trials. On, on Job 26, 23, verses 1 to 6 on the message, he says, I'm not letting up. I'm standing my ground. My complaint is legitimate. God has no right to treat me like this. Huh? Wow. <laughs> He's having a, a fist. He, it isn't fair. If I knew where on earth to find him, I'll go straight to him. I'd lay, well, my case. So he he's kind of <laughs> trims down things before him. And, and, and so notice what Job is saying. God has no right to treat me like this. Have you ever said anything like it? Thank you. <laughs> you have an honest person here. Now we have more. You're just thinking about it. Uh, God, you have no right to treat me like this. It's not fair. Well, I have news for you. Life is not fair. 
but God is. So, these attitudes show a complete lack of faith, either suicide or arguing with God. You know, I, I remember years ago, I was already a pastor, and I went to Colombia to this pastor's conference, and uh, it, actually it was the cleaning lady of the church that was giving a message to pastors. And uh, I was looking at cleaning lady, and then they... Uh, they start showing, you know, all, all of uh, her disciples. And she has, uh, I, I don't know, like 2,000 people on a network of home groups. And she's the cleaning lady of the church. And here I am, you know, a pastor with a bunch of pastors. And I will never forget that she gave a message on forgiving God. I said, forgiving God? This theology is all wrong. God doesn't need forgiveness. Yeah, God doesn't need forgiveness, but sometimes we hold grudges of things that happened and we actually blame God. God, why, why is this happening to me? God, maybe it's not God. You know, in Job's case, he thought it was God. He didn't understand that it was the devil who took away all these things from him, but he was blaming God. Till he got to the point that Job also had to let it go. So let, let me tell you, let, let those feelings go. And I'm going to try to be brief with a three-point message. What about this, okay? So I'm going to give you three things to overcome these feelings and these inadequacies that we, we have in our life and how to finish strong. So the first one, don't limit God. Let God be God, lose him, and let him be God. Don't set limits to what God can and, and cannot do. You know, so many Christian people say, oh, God cannot heal today. Or God, uh, th there, this cannot happen today. There's no miracles. W when you do that, you're limiting God. So don't limit God. Let God be God. Let God be God in your circumstances. And, and you'll finish strong if you do so. And uh, in Hosea, uh, I'll show you how, how the people of Israel had to deal with this. Chapter 4, verse 16, King James Version says, For Israel slided back as a backsliding heifer. Wow. <laughs> Will you like to be called a backsliding heifer? Will you? I, I don't think so. But he, he, here is God talking about his people and saying, my people is backsliding. Like, this is from where the word backslider comes in Christianese. Uh, <laughs> it's because people slide back. Well, what it, does this mean, backsliding, like a backsliding uh, heifer? It's because Israel was always going back. They were going back to the time when, when they were in Egypt. Oh, it was so nice, you know, to be a slave in Egypt. You know, minimum wages was fantastic. You know, put a Jew in minimum wages, that's torture for them. <laughs> because it's in their nature to, you know, to increase. So, so uh, uh, you can blame God or you can think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just doing this stuff in church, giving tithes, doing this, nothing's happening. So I'll better quit. I call quits and I'm going just to live a life away from, uh, from church or from God. Now, in, in Psalm 78, 
this is Living Bible translation, 40 to 42. It says, Oh, how often they rebelled against him in those desert years and grieved his heart. Talking about the heart of God. Again and again, they turned away and tempted God to kill them, limited the Holy One of Israel. Look at this. They, they, they limited the Holy One of Israel from giving them his blessings. They forgot his power and love and how he had rescued them from their enemies. Can, you, can we limit God? And when you limit God, you sadden God. So, so uh, you know, faithless affirmations sadden God. So we, we need to build our faith. We cannot be caught in this trap. It says that the heart of God was broken. Imagine a father seeing his son destroying his life, you know, in rebellion, addiction, alcoholism, drugs. Imagine the heart of a father that sees a son and the heart of the father is broken. And, and, uh, and the father has the power to change those circumstances. But they're sliding back like the backsliding heifer. They limited God. There's numerous scriptures that show how they limited the Holy One. They limit the Holy One. And, and why? Verse 42, it tells us two things. Number one, they forgot his power. And number two, they forgot his love. So, so we, we need to uh, hold on to God and to the promises of God. You know, so something that I, I like to do, I used to do this with the uh, actual images. Now I do it in computer screens and all kinds of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to put an image of what I want to achieve. Uh, let's say you want to uh, achieve something in life. Let's say you want to go on a vacation to a certain place. Now put a picture of that place in your background, in your computer, or iPad, or iPhone, or whatever, and start thanking God. Say, God, I'm going to be here the next summer. Next summer, I'm going to be here. And next summer, and maybe next summer, you're not going to be there. But you need to have these visual ads in order to keep with your faith. I think this is a good word. <laughs> Still on this subject of not limiting God. Uh, Isaiah Chapter 40, uh, verse 10. Yes, the Lord God is coming with mighty power. He will rule with awesome strength. See, his reward is with him to which uh, as he has done. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. Gently leads the, the owls uh, with young. Who else has held the oceans in his hands and measured the heavens with his ruler? Who else knows the weight of all the earth and the weights of the mountains and the hills? Our God knows everything. He is almighty. He's all powerful. So don't limit God. Quit telling what God can and cannot do. There's no impossible situations to God. Nothing is impossible for him. And on the same chapter, I'm going to read a little bit further. Verse 13. Who can advise the spirit of the Lord or be teacher or give him counsel? He has never needed anyone's advice. Did he need instruction as to what is right and best? So quit giving God instructions. You know, God is not a bellboy that you charge with a wish list. There's nothing in God that you can 
bring as an advice. God, I'm advising to you it will be better that you bless me or else. You know, don't do stuff like this. And then verse 15, no, for all the peoples of the world are nothing in compared with him. They are but a drop in a bucket, dust on the scales. He picks up the islands as though they had no weight at all. So this is who our God is. And a bit further on the same chapter, verse 25. With whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up in the heavens. Who created all these stars? As a shepherd leads his sheep, calling each by its pet name, and counts them to see that none are lost or straight, so God does with all the stars and planets. He gives power to the tired and worn out and strength to the weak. This is our God. Let's give a hand of applause to him. Praise God. This is our God. So don't limit God. And, and, and uh, still this uh, Psalm 37 verse 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him to help you. you. You do it and he will. He will. We have a fantastic God. <laughs> you know, there's this story that I read about that uh, small nun, Mother Teresa. And uh, I don't agree with, with her uh, uh, church, but I like her. I tend to like Mother Teresa. She was an amazing woman of God, a woman of faith. And uh, this is on, on her biography that uh, she, she uh, was talking about the new orphanage she was building in, uh, in India. And uh, a, a, a businessman asked her, and so how are you going to fund this? And she, she, she grabbed, uh, I don't know where nuns have pockets, but she grabbed three coins. And she said, I have three pennies to get started. I have three pennies. And the guy told her, you're not going to go far with three pennies. And she answered, you, you don't, you're not seeing things well. Because it's not three pennies that I have here. I have God and three pennies. <laughs> and with God and three pennies, I'll be able to build anything. That's a good answer. <laughs> so even if you have one penny, we don't have pennies anymore. But if you have a loony or a toony, you have something because God is with you. Number two, don't always try to dodge your difficulties. Face them and use them as, as opportunities for growth. Now, I, I don't play golf, but I, I enjoy watching people playing golf. Uh, and uh, when I, the last time I played golf, I, I went blind for three days <laughs> with the golf ball. <laughs> Said, oh, I better stop for a while. <laughs> so it's been a number of years that I don't, uh, I don't try to even to play golf. But some of you here play golf terribly, but you play. Oh, sorry for the golfers. And, um, but one thing I know of golf, it's the better the course is, is uh, it, uh, it has more difficulties and barriers. Um, I used to spend my holidays in uh, one of the most expensive holes in all of Europe. Uh, it's in a place uh, called the Algarve. It's in the south of Portugal. And uh, masters from all over the world go to that particular course because there's a, an area where uh, uh, it looks like a, a, a sand fjord to the sea and, and so the land uh, and the, the ocean comes inside the land uh, and you have to pass the ball over the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, to uh, continue the course. 
So if you fail, there's no more ball. <laughs> and so all the masters of the world, uh, they want to go to that particular place because there's that difficulty. Now imagine that you, you put a, a golf course that's all flat. There's no bumps. There's no sand. There's nothing. Uh, you know, and besides that, when you have, where you have the holes, you have the, the terrain pointing to the hole. So if you're like 10 meters from the hole, the, the ball will slide there. Okay. No one will want to play in a place like this. Because there's no challenge. There's no challenge. You know, one of the reasons why they, they point that people that win uh, Lotto 649 and Lotto Max, they, they lose their money, all, the, all their money in one year. I don't think I will lose it, but I, who knows? But they say that people spend most of the money in one year. It's because it wasn't hard to earn. That's the reason why they say, because it was easy. Easy comes... Exactly. So imagine that um, you have to go through life with no difficulties, no uh, challenges. You don't need to earn money. Your daddy gives you the money. Uh, your mommy takes care of you. And, and so you'll end up what currently we call a brat. Yeah. Someone that you know, I've worked in many places before, especially before I was a Christian. And the worst boss you can have is one that never worked. It's horrible to work with a boss that never had to work. And because they don't understand the challenges and difficulties of life. So difficulties make you better. Don't try to dodge every difficulty. If it's hard... Uh, sometimes uh, it, it, these challenges we have in life, if, if you don't see what's ahead, it's the unknown, sometimes they're good for you because we'll, it will help you to get stronger. You know, in, uh, in the book of Hebrews 13, the Amplified Bible, verse 5, it says, I will never under any circumstances desert you. This is God promising. Nor give you up nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? It's, I, I really like the amplified version on this, on, on this Bible verse. I will not in, in never under any circumstance desert you. So if God promised this, you know, it's time to face the bull by the horns. Okay, you know where this expression comes from? Facing the bull by, by the horns. It's from the rodeos of the old times. It was called a bullfight. And I come from a country of bullfighters. And, and uh, what I like in the bullfight, it's when you put uh, six or ten men in that arena with the bull. And they have to catch the bull. And the way to catch the bull is by the horns. And then, and then when I was a child, it was a very bloody sport because the bulls, uh, they had regular horns. Then they started covering the horns. 
and it's not as bad. And I've been in that circumstance of being in, in the arena <laughs> with the bullfighters, and it's very, very exciting, except when the bull just hits you. So everybody, they make sure they drink like two or three liters of wine before they go to the arena. I'm not kidding. It's the way they do it. But in old days, they used to, to do this. And the Roman arena uh, had this sport in the, in, the, in the Colosseums. They will uh, just, you know, throw people to the, to the lions or to the bull. And so the only way to defeat the bull is to face the bull and hold the bull by the horns. It's the only way. If you try it any other ways, there's no way. If you only have bare hands. So I'm referring to this because it's a big exploit if you do something like this. You know, if you start your business with uh, coins, it's a big exploit. If you build your orphanage with three pennies, it's a huge exploit. So and God is expecting us, Christian, to do exploits. So do you think as Passion Center we can do the exploit of, you know, increasing this room and having more people and conquering the South Shore? You think we can? We're working on that. <laughs> But someone has to catch the bull by the horn. Someone has to, to think God will never leave me or forsake me. We don't run away from challenge. We face challenge. In, in uh, Joshua, when Joshua was entering the promised land, God encouraged him. Uh, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed, intimidated. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, God is always with us. You know, God didn't leave the three Hebrew young men uh, uh, alone being uh, thrown into the fierce fire uh, of, of that pit. They, they heat it up like seven times. And the people that throw them in, in the fire died. And then they walked in the fire. Why? Because there was a fourth man in the fire. That was Jesus himself, I believe, and many people believe, walking with, uh, with them. Uh, when Daniel was thrown to the lions, God could have avoided the situation. But he was thrown to the lions. So he had to face lions in a pit. Wow, <laughs> I've seen them behind bars or the outside of, of a car. You know, <laughs> if you ever went to African Lion Safari in Ontario, you drive and the lions are over there. Don't open the window like the Japanese did. And they, they got bit by the lions. <laughs> so, so if you see a lion, uh, you, you, you let the lion there. But here's Daniel having to face the lions. That's a huge challenge right there. The, uh, uh, the David had to face Goliath. Couldn't have the Lord just smitten and strike Goliath with a, you know, thunder from heaven, something. God could have done it. But David had to face Goliath. So why do you think you're different? Hmm? It says that the same afflictions are shared. But you, you, you may think, oh, but I'm not a David. I'm not, you know, an important person. Yes, you are. You are important to God. So you face your own challenges. 
Maybe you're facing a challenge that you, you're struggling with anxiety and depression. And it's your giant. Don't run away from it just taking pills. No, face it. Face it. We have enough painkillers in the world, but none of them works as they should. That's why people are dying with Oxycontin and all these things, and nobody wants to talk about it because there's this uh, generation, they want to escape pain. And so they heard, oh, pot is great for pain. And it is to a certain degree. So let's legalize pot. Let's legalize this. And after pot, guess what's going to be legalized? It's going to be another one and another one. And stronger and stronger to knock you off, to knock you down, so you don't have to go through life suffering. Even when you learn business, they, they teach you. Business is about suffering and the remedy for suffering. And it's okay. I mean, if, if, you, if you're struggling with pain, I'm not telling you to endure that pain. But what I'm telling you, it's some people, they go too easy into that route. They go too easy. You know, it's something attacks them, and they go too easy. Sometimes we need to face pain and suffering and, and face that bull by the horns again and overcome those trials of life because that will make us better. And sometimes we don't think about it. And uh, the third thing, and I, I finish here, learn to wait. So don't limit God, okay? Don't limit God. Don't, don't put limits to who God is. Number two, okay, if face the challenges, don't try to run away from challenges. And number three, learn to wait. And, uh, you know, I've seen people purchasing a property that was worth $50,000, and they buy this house. It's okay. It's new neighborhood. They hold to the house, and 20 years later, they sell it by $500,000. That's a good deal right there. <laughs> um, in the United States, not in Canada, they have this rule that it's, it was made uh, by the Jewish community. It's the 20-20-20 rule. I don't know if you ever heard of the 20-20-20. Have you ever heard? So I'll, I'll tell you for the sake of those that don't know, I'll tell you. It's like this. Buy 20 acres, 20 miles from a city, and wait 20 years. So... And, and it works also in Canada. I've seen this, you know, uh, w when I was living in Toronto, there was this Italian man. I won't say the name. I don't want to do publicity. He purchased land where nobody wanted land, a place called Mississauga. Mississauga. What garbage is this, Mississauga? He waited 20 years, and he became one of the wealthiest people in, in Ontario because Mississauga becomes the hot place for real estate, not just real estate, but industry. And they have these industrial parks. And not only he owns the land, he starts building warehouses and leasing those warehouses. He, he becomes a multi, multi-millionaire. Why? Because he used this rule. He purchased and he waited. So sometimes you have something, you hold to something and you think it's of no value. Learn to wait. Sometimes we can't, you know. <laughs> it came to my mind when, I, when I, we, we moved to Canada. I had purchased a beautiful house. 
uh, with an ocean view. And it was my house. I was so proud of my house. <laughs> and, and God called us to Canada. And um, we had brand new furniture. We had everything prepared. I love that place. And when God calls me to Canada, I, I said, I have to obey. So we sold the house to know that two years later, the price quadrupled on that house. It, it went so high, it was ridiculous. And I could have thought, oh, I should have never come to Canada. But uh, I've learned that with God, we're in a journey. So we leave behind. So maybe you had, uh, in the past, you've lost opportunities. You missed the target. You didn't wait it long enough. So uh, our culture uh, wants to get things now, right now. But good things sometimes take time to happen. You want to take a picture of that one? I'll try to go back. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Take the picture. So good things take time. E even in relationships, it's like this. Maybe you struggle in your marriage. I struggled a lot my first year. We were so different. I came from a past of, uh, you know, street guy, uh, violent uh, in the streets, and I married a, a church girl. It was very hard. So she had to mold me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and I had to mold her. So, so it was a period of adaptation. But at times I thought, maybe I did a bad decision. Maybe I cannot continue. And for all of you that divorced and remarried, you know, uh, you have the experience of past hurt. It doesn't mean that it's going to repeat. And remember this, good things take time. So learn to wait. Uh, I had tons of verses here. I'm going just to refer maybe a couple. Uh, Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Okay? So some of you are waiting on businesses for seven, eight years. Wait for the Lord. <laughs> Wait for the Lord. Take courage. Take courage. Don't give up. You know, it's good to have a plan B sometimes, but if God gives you just one plan, don't even think about doing a plan B. You stay on course, and you learn to wait. If it's a promise of God. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31, I love this verse. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God spoke. Can his word be trusted? Yes. Okay, so what do we do? We wait for the Lord. <laughs> That's a tough thing to do because the Lord doesn't have a wristwatch, and we do. So sometimes uh, we think he's taking too long. But I'm telling you, God is never late. Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced that God who began this work in you will carry it through the completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's not very encouraging. Let me tell you, it sounds good, but it's not very encouraging. Because the day of Christ Jesus may be the day you die. So you can interpret this this way. But I personally don't interpret this way. To me, it's encouraging 
Because the day of Christ Jesus, it's the day when Jesus manifests over a circumstance. If God promised you, you stay put. You stay on track. You learn to wait. You don't limit God. You face the obstacles and think good things take time. Don't ever think you're too old because you're not too old. Don't limit God. Face your difficulties. Learn to wait on God. That's my message on how to finish strong. Because if we do this, we'll finish strong. Otherwise, you know, we face an obstacle and we move. And then we're jumping from one place to another. And soon we'll be like the backsliding heifer. And I don't like to be called a heifer. <laughs> I don't. But that's what God called his children, the people of Israel. So if he called them, he can call you or me. Right? So we better sometimes change our view, the circumstances, and our attitude. That's why Paul got to this. This is the, the verse we were studying today. Second uh, Timothy 1.4.7. Uh, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All the, the three elements of what I shared with you this morning are contained in this scripture. And, uh, and so w once again, don't give up. Don't, don't ever consider killing yourself. Don't ever consider. I, I shared this story. This man that was healed of brain, a brain tumor. You know, that's a desperate situation. And I don't know why God healed him right before he was uh, having a surgery. Why not a week before? Why not two weeks before? Because sometimes we need to know it was God. Okay? Sometimes God will allow these circumstances in life. He, we, we go to the last minute. You know, I've been in situations. I went to the last day before I had to make a, a, an important payment. And if I didn't pay on time, I was going to be in deep trouble. And God showed up multiple times at the last minute. And I, I stopped asking God, God, why would you do that? God doesn't want to make us suffer. But it's, it's those challenges that will enable us to go a little bit further. Because if you have a struggle to pay a debt of $20,000, imagine if you were a business owner and you have a, a debt of $20 million. How are you going to face the $20 million if you're not able to face the $2,000 or the $20,000? So, so uh, life is a journey. We have these obstacles to overcome. And I'm telling you that God is with you. And this morning, I want to encourage you. I know I talked about some certain things. Maybe uh, I don't want you to interpret in a different way. Especially when I tell you that we try to escape pain. Because all of, all of us, it's natural. It's built in. It's built in. People try to escape pain. Uh, but sometimes we have to go through pain in order to get the prize. Think about Jesus Christ. He's at the cross He's, uh, he's disfigured more than any human being. And he's uh, bleeding from everywhere. And, and I, I mean, he's over there. And somebody comes with vinegar, which was a way of soothing the pain. And he refused. Why did he refuse? Because he wanted to suffer? No. Because he had a vow. And he said, I will not drink 
from the fruit of the vine until this Easter is consumed in heaven. So he had a vow. Otherwise, he could have drunk, you know. It was a nice gesture here to suit your pain. He says, no, because I have a vow. And the vow uh, is more important than the pain. So if you have a vow, if you vowed something to God, like you vowed, I'm not going to smoke anymore, for instance. You know, there's great pain and suffering when you quit an addiction. There's great pain. But if you vowed something, stick to the plan, overcome those difficulties, and eventually the Holy Spirit is going to give you something a lot better. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I work with the drug addicts for th uh, three to four years. And um, I, I myself had to overcome, but I, I met guys that were way worse than me. I mean, they had a, a level of addiction was uh, unbelievable. And uh, I used to tell them, you know, when you experience the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a high that is better than heroin or cocaine. And they will tell me, Get lost. That's not true. And then they were baptized in, in, uh, in the Holy Spirit. They were just moving uh, in God and worshiping God. And they started you know, laughing, rolling on the floor, doing stuff that people sometimes do in church and others don't understand. And, uh, and they were, you know, exuberant in their worship and all that. And I will ask them, so do you believe now that you get a high which is better than... Uh, your addiction, yes, man, oh, man, this is so good. Oh, the presence of God, I'm so drunk in the spirit and all this. And it's language that religious people do not understand because they never experimented the fullness. Uh, or we never experienced the fullness, but at least being filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Because when you're filled with Holy Ghost and power, circumstances change. Yes, you're there in the den with the lions. Yes, you're facing the, your giants. Yes, you're, you're waiting and it's not coming. But you stay, you stay put. You stay in the race. Let us all stand. Let me pray with you. And I would like just to encourage you to finish strong. Finish strong. You know, God didn't call us to be uh, speed runners. God called us to, to do the marathon. <laughs> stay the course huh? and um, I don't know if you ever did sports there's a difference in how you train if you're training to run 100 meters or if you train to run a marathon it's, it's a huge difference and I know because I did it and I, I run both and my coach told me mm, you're not good for 100 meters and I was so close to, to beat the the, the, the uh, I was at the 10.4 seconds, and I wanted to beat the 10. I was fast, but they told me, no, your complexion, it's not for this. You, you're going to run, you're going to run the, the marathon. And I said, no, I don't want to run the marathon. I hate, uh, you know, running, you know, the, 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 uh, so long. It's, I cannot do, do that. And I had to learn, and um, I did marathons many times when my heart allowed me. And um, I, I've learned that there's a huge difference. There's a, a season when you're running a long run where it seems that you're going to die. And it's not uh, after 20 kilometers. It's right there at maybe four or five. 
And it seems like your heart is going to explode. You're, it's like you're going to die. And then suddenly, the body does something and something kicks in. And then it's like automatic. It's like you're driving in your car and you're distracted. And you don't even know where you're going. And then you're there. <laughs> and you say, how did I get here? Same thing. So uh, in, the, in this um, race of faith, we're called for the long run. We're not called to be sprinters. We're called for the long run. So, so in order to finish strong, and, 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 and have you seen when those guys enter a stadium and they still have to go uh, twice <laughs> around? And, and you think, that, oh man, it's just that they're destroyed. They cannot make it. But the stadium is there encouraging them. <sighs> and they hear the crowd and they see the line. And suddenly they start running. And oh boy, it's, uh, it's unbelievable what the human body can achieve. But the human mind can achieve even more than the human body. So it's your mind is your soul. Your soul is the part of you that gives up. It's not your spirit. It's your soul. So if your soul is saddened by things, if you're just willing to give up, there's the time to say, no, God, I'm going to continue. And it's like that five-kilometer turn, turn around where you suddenly get energized and you get the strength of God. I do believe that some of you need to get this strength today.